What's up? Getting you ready for the weekend. Man, I feel like a DJ right now. Kyle, you got big weekend plans? Not anymore. Not for many, many uh, months. What happened? Break well, up? COVID happened. Um, I guess my weekend plan will be um, getting tortured by the Patriots now. That's a fun new thing I'm doing. Oh, wow. Poor guy. Yeah. Not many people sharing that sympathy with you. Uh, Dominique Foxworth, former NFL corner safety, did a great piece on Tyron Matthew. And we're just going to dig into a bunch of different stuff. You never know where it's going to go with him. A little life advice at the back end. And a little Big Ten football off the top for today's open. But first... Today's episode of the Ryan Rizzo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro, the real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agency, award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service. State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's the Ryan Rosillo Podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Let's talk a little Nebraska, okay? And you're thinking, all right, what's this mean? What's Rosillo up to here? Here's what we know. As we found out throughout this week, uh, Wisconsin's head coach, Paul Christ, and uh, their starting quarterback, Mertz, who had a great opening week, and we touched on Wisconsin and their schedule, and it's like, man, you know, they got they got kind of one scary game there, and who knows? And that's why they have such great, like, the analytics crowd loves their possibilities of getting into the college football playoff. But you know what? They're going to have to win two huge games. And if they do win those, then they're deserving of getting in there. But they canceled their game against Nebraska this week because, according to Big Ten protocols, which I'm not going to bore you to death with, there's a bunch of different protocols in there. Uh, essentially, like, hey, if you have this many positive tests, it's your quarterback, it's the backup quarterback, it's your head coach. Um, you know, you 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 have to like there's just I, there's all these different rules that we understand with everything that's going on as we're trying to keep up with all the bad news that's out there um that they went ahead and canceled the game now what happened next well dan wetzel yahoo sports covering college football a long time does a great job he 
<laughs> wrote this piece today about how Nebraska said, all right, fine, we're going to go play Tennessee Chattanooga. And we met with them, and they're good to go. We don't want to lose out on the game, and let's do this. And they went back to the Big Ten, and the Big Ten was like, no, we're not doing that. Now, what this led to, which is a very predictable thing, is that since Nebraska is still a new Big Ten, all right, not new money, but like new Big Ten, this is their 10th season, which I still think one of the great things about conference realignment and how insane that was. And I loved being on the radio during that time because all the different rumors, all these terrible things that were going on. And I don't mean terrible in the sense, but like, you know, look, I, I've talked many times about the death of the Big East, how much I can't stand that. My man, Scotty Too Hottie Van Pelt, his ACC <laughs> lineage. And we're like, hey, it's Big Ten, Scotty. And he hates it. He hates that Maryland is in the Big Ten. Um, you know, because he missed the ACC part. I don't think it still ruins his day, but we called him Big Ten Scotty forever, and he hated it. Um, you had the Big 12 that looked like it was going to blow up, and then it wasn't. You had the Pac-12 saying, hey, we're going to get Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, we wanted a Florida State. Maybe it was going to go to the SEC. So just a lot of different stuff had been happening, and it was all happening really fast as everybody was trying to figure out. It was really musical chairs for college football. And we're like, where's the best place for us to land? And... Um, one of the other things that I've always asked about it afterwards was like, was it worth it? Was it really worth all that? I'll even remember too. I'm not going to say his name because it sucks for him, but he was a college football reporter who was working for us, who was going on the air talking about all these latest rumors. Meanwhile, the people who really knew what was going on were the people at the highest levels of ESPN that do the deals with the conferences. There's one guy who basically saved the big 12 who was behind the scenes. You'd never know who he was unless you really knew what was going on. I think the guy's a great guy. I'm not going to name him either. Um, some of you guys already know who this is, but and it's not relevant to the story. But he was basically orchestrating saving the Big Ten, or excuse me, saving the Big 12 through some television deals in the future. And that's what you know worked it out for Texas and all these different things. But the problem is, is he wasn't going to tell our own reporter, hey, here's what's actually going down. So our reporter, one of them, was getting a ton of stuff wrong and then I would hear like, man, I feel bad for this guy. He's, he's got a bunch of stuff wrong, but this is big business. And we're just not going to go ahead and tell him everything we're actually going to do because there's leverage, there's negotiations and with all these things going on. So it was a really weird time to be at ESPN because I love college football. Van Pelt and I would talk about it nonstop. But at the same time, the business relationships were far more important than a couple guys on air getting their takes right. So that brings us to Nebraska because Nebraska jumped ship because they were mad that the Big 12 was catering towards Texas and the Longhorn Network, which is now whatever the fears were and that it make Texas this, this program you'd never be able to beat. Well, that's just not the case. And Texas has a little bit of Nebraska and I'll get that to you a little bit later, but Nebraska goes to the big 10. And when they got lined up on their side of the division and you're looking at how it all lines up, you're like, man, Nebraska, like they're going to go, Hey, you know what? Like, look, it's Oklahoma, it's Texas, but you know, Ohio state. Yeah, they're good, but they weren't what they are uh, in 2010, what they are now. But they're probably thinking, and I think a lot of Nebraska fans felt this, because Nebraska, I mean, that run with Osborne is crazy. The three national championships, 13-0, 12-0, 11-2, 13-0. That's from 94 to 97. And then even after that, they went 9-4 and uh, with Solich in his first year, which wasn't great. But then he had him at 12-1, and 11-2 a couple years. But then that wasn't good enough because it wasn't Osborne. And then Bill Callahan came in, and it was kind of a mess. And then we'll get to Bo Pelini in a little bit. But let's face it. If you're a Nebraska fan, you're thinking, okay, you know what? The Big big 12 you know, is kind of top-heavy. Big 10, look at where we are. 
uh, in the division. Like, you know, we're going to have a real chance. Here's the thing. It hasn't worked out that way at all. Um, since they made the switch in 2011, that first season, the best AP ranking after the rankings are done, so at the end of the season, was 24th, and that was in the first year. They have not finished ranked since 2012 when they finished 25th. Now, back then, I used to always make a joke about Nebraska that they always were in the coaches' poll no matter what. They could like lose two or three games, and you'd go through the coaches' poll and be like, why, why are they 18th again? Like, Why is every coach still voting? Nebraska was like always higher in the coaches' poll than they were in the AP poll, and it didn't really make any sense. I used to go on a Nebraska station. I actually liked talking with those guys. They were cool. They were fair about things. And I just go, you know, the more you dig into this Bo Pelini deal, like it's auto seven wins. They don't really play that many out of conference teams. Back then, they were still playing eight conference games, so four non conference. The way they basically would have four or five, maybe four is fair to say, four Big Ten wins that you go, well, it's automatic that they're going to beat these four teams and the non conference. So he was getting to seven, eight wins. I mean, look, Pelini went nine and four, 10 and four, 10 and four, nine and four, 10 and four, nine and four, and then out of there at nine and three. And you go, well, Bo Pelini actually did a pretty good job. They didn't beat anybody. And when they had big games, they'd get smoked in so many of them. I'm not saying they weren't competitive. Um, in any of them, but I was going through it trying to find like good Big Ten ranked wins. They don't exist. And then it was terrible with Mike Riley. And yes, Scott Frost is back, but it was five and seven and bad start so far. Oh, whatever. They played Ohio State, so I'm not going to beat up on them too much. But what you got out of this was a lot of money. And the money in the Big Ten is better there than anywhere else until the SEC redoes their Saturday deal, which eventually will be with ESPN. If you look at the money doled out per team in 2019, the Big Ten handed out about $55.5 million. Uh, the SEC is about $10 million behind that. The Big 12, somewhere around $40 million. The ACC is about $27 million. The Pac-12, uh, payouts of about $32 million. So there's some differences there on some of the ACC reporting stuff, okay? So it's more money. It's more money than they would have ever gotten with the Big 12. And again, the Big 12 was saved basically by one ESPN executive. Now, granted, he had to get people to sign off on the whole thing. But what I find fascinating about the story is that there's this feeling that Nebraska was turned down because they're not like real Big 10. Or that Nebraska went ahead and tried to do their own scheduling because they're not real Big 10. And Wetzel made the point that you know, Missouri had one of their games. They didn't just go ahead and try to find something else. They decided to follow the SEC rules. Well, look, I'll tell you this. Nebraska feels more Big Ten than Missouri will ever feel SEC. So, you know, for those that resist, well, Nebraska never really felt like a Big Ten team anyway. Are they being punished? Were they told they can't do this because they're not old school Big Ten? Um, that seems to be some of the stuff that's hinted at there. Now, I don't know if this is one of those stories we'll look back on it and go, Hey, nobody even remembers what the hell happened three weeks ago after this thing. I could even make an argument that Nebraska went ahead to do everything they could to present it to the Big Ten and say, hey, this is good to go. So instead of waiting for permission, we just went ahead and organized it. Um, this other school is in, so let's go ahead and do this. And now we're ready to go. And yet that was frowned upon because it was like these guys are just doing their own thing because they're not one of us. So it really depends on who the source is. And like I said, maybe this is Wetzel hinting at even more discontent, um, which would definitely be fair. And there's times where I can read stories or I'll hear something and be like, oh, this is just sort of a sampling of what's really going on. But then again, sometimes like, look, they come back, they start playing football games. No one other than Nebraska fans will even remember that this happened. So you can ask yourself this if you're a Nebraska fan. Like, do you think you're getting screwed over here because you're not old school Big Ten? 
is the Big Ten messing with you? You probably think so, because look, Nebraska fans have been kind of on one for a little while here, and I get it. You're an incredibly, incredibly passionate fan base. I, I would put you up there really with anybody, maybe not the numbers, but you guys really, really care. Sometimes I'm kind of concerned why you care, though, because Stuart Mandel the other day had a great tweet about Ohio State's rankings, and then Nebraska fans were mad after they got stomped for not getting more credit for being in the ratings discussion part of it. It's like, yes, you and your friends really care about Nebraska football. Ohio State, which is always funny whenever we were talking about some of the conspiracies about the playoff committee and who they were picking. You're like, oh, the ESPN, they just want all these SEC schools in there. Actually, we would rather have Ohio State in every single one of them because they rate almost like no one else does. So, again, back to Nebraska. I think all this really means this inferiority complex you may have and not be aware of or you may have and be aware of your frustration with the fact that it hasn't gone the way you thought it did. And even though you're making way more money, this isn't actually the worst deal for the program because you're making all this cash. I think it comes down to a realization that when you look in the mirror and you're in Nebraska, it's never happening again for you. I'm serious. And I'm, I, I've said it, I go, never is a long time. I rare to write things off. I'm rare to say this guy is incapable of ever doing this. But when we talk about all these different schools and who's back, and Miami has set a record for being back and, and not being back. Texas is probably second there. You know, Florida State won a title and played another championship game. So let's let's give them a few more bad years. But Nebraska is never going to be Nebraska in the 90s again. They just aren't. I wouldn't say, look, somebody's going to win at Texas eventually, okay? Uh, USC hasn't been bad enough despite it being disappointing. There's some other programs you could pick at. But Miami, Texas are the ones that are brought up all the time. Nebraska's never doing what they did in the 90s again. They just aren't. And I think Nebraska fans probably know it, but you don't want to admit it. And that's why all this stuff pisses you off. Are you really mad about the Big Ten not letting you play an out-of-conference game? Do you really think Wisconsin canceled it because they didn't want to play you because the coach and the quarterbacks are gone? I mean, maybe. But, I mean, aren't we supposed to be taking precautions? So what's Wisconsin going to do? Get criticized because they actually were trying to do the right thing and cancel the game because guys tested positive? I thought that's what, what everybody wanted. And now we're saying it's only because they didn't want to play Nebraska undermanned? I mean, yeah, sure, it's possible. I'm not ruling it out entirely. But all of the Nebraska stuff that I look at, and I'm not even mad at you. I'm just saying I think this all stems from the realization that the recruiting is not there. In the Big 12, you could at least get other Big 12 kids to come to you out of Texas and Oklahoma that maybe didn't get into those schools. Now they're not going to go to you. They're going to go to some smaller school in the SEC or the Big 12 because the Big 12's depth is better now with teams like Baylor and TCU actually getting recruits that they weren't getting before. And now where are the Big 10 kids going to go? They're going to go to Lincoln? So I don't think it's ever... I'd be shocked if it did happen again. I'm not saying having a great season or maybe even... You know, winning the Big Ten again, a never is a, never is a really long time. But I think a lot of the stuff that I see from Nebraska fans about all these theories and this, they're doing this to us. It's really about your own frustration with this going far worse than you thought it would go over the last ten years. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway, and at first you're like, "What is that?" I'm like, "Oh, it's just a little mark." Nope. Now, by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take 
a minute to get done. They set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand. It's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Dominique Foxworth, ESPN, bunch of teams with the NFL, and I mean that in a good way. So, you know, you already kind of looked at me like, what are we talking about here? You're going to talk about different transactions. <laughs> There's a bunch of stuff that I want to get to, but I think something you should feel really proud about is your piece on Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew is changing the game. ESPN cover story, that itself is a big deal, part of the undefeated as well. So I want to do some other stuff that's going on around the league, but let's start with this because it's just a great story. I remember watching Matthew at LSU, and then you'd ask you know, some of the draft people and go, what do you think? I'm like, man, he can't really cover anybody. And then he's, right. he's all pro. And he, he clearly is this guy. So let's start first with why, beyond the obvious, why him? Why did you want to do this story? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was a lot about just personal challenge, like wanting to do uh, – I've done a couple profiles, but I don't think I've done one really good, and it takes a while to learn how to write. So it's part that and selecting him because I thought he was an interesting guy, and, and this wasn't an original angle that I wanted the piece to take. But I, the more I researched about him, the more I realized that a ton of people have written about him, and they all write the same kind of story, rags the riches, poor kid, downtrodden, uh, kicked off of his team in college. And then there's this like comeback narrative, which we all enjoy reading those stories. We enjoy watching those movies. Like it's a, a tried and true sports kind of cliche story. And um, I was going to do it. And then I started reading and noticed that everyone had already done it 12 times. So I really had to challenge myself to figure out another way um, to approach the story. And, and fortunately, I guess, uh, necessity, I guess, is the mother of invention or innovation in this case. And then it came to this just focusing on trying to do what I can do that other writers can't do. Just given my football background, I thought I could dive deep into the X's, X's and O's in a way that a lot of feature writers um, can't. So that's how I ended up with talking more about his impact on the field and how he was kind of the first real um, kind of tweener safety. And now it seems like every team needs one or is looking for one. Okay, so why is that? I mean, I think it's the the maturation of the game offensively and the changing of the rules and the more dependence on pass and smart offensive coordinators recognizing that you can um, create mismatches. And so when you have guys, tight ends, who are just as good blockers as they are receivers, you have to put in an extra DB to guard him, and then they just run at the smaller DB. And then you put in a linebacker to stop the run, and then they attack those linebackers in space. So I think you get to a point where you need guys who are athletic enough and smart enough, frankly, to be comfortable and flexible enough to be comfortable in a bunch of different positions. And 
you notice, you see that around the league, Tyron Matthew was coming into the league and didn't get drafted high because people said um, they didn't know what position he was going to play. And now it seems like that liability uh, is it's become an asset. Yeah, because I, when you think of, I don't know how much you watched him in college if you went back and looked at it. How how was it that, you know, he goes that late and he was this dynamic guy that was a Heisman favorite going in. And I mean, he just he just did things in the college field that you go, okay, this guy's just, you know, he's just one of those guys like Peter Warwick on defense. Peter Warwick's always like my standalone guy that I think of where I go, he's just different than everybody else. Like, how come he's doing all this stuff and nobody else can do this stuff? Um, That's a hell of an example because Peter Warwick went to the league and it was a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Because it really wasn't. And I think it's funny, too, because I loved him so much, and I probably talk about him too much, but he actually still had some decent years in the league, and it's just, well, okay, yeah, but you were right. you were like a completely different level in college, and it's just so funny that it didn't work out for him, but with Matthew, we'd see it. We'd see the impact he right. had on the college game, but it was across the board. Like, What were some of the things maybe that you understand better than we do where personnel people would go, yeah, maybe a mid-round pick? Like, What were the problems right. there? So I'm not going to pretend like I was smarter than them back then. Um, I don't know. Maybe I would have fallen into the same traps, but I was I was playing when he was drafted. So I wasn't um, like deep into or no, I wasn't actually. I think I was in business school when he was drafted. So I wasn't like deep into analyzing it. So I don't remember what I thought about him as a player. I just remember he was outstanding and made a bunch of big plays. But to your point about Peter Ward, like I know he had some OK years, but the man like we called moves Peters like I remember in <laughs> middle school like when somebody got crossed up on the basketball court or got shaken like Barry Sanders would do people you say look at those Peters so like no, there is no way that he was I mean there's no way that he wasn't a disappointment in the league because I thought he was like the best like it, I fell in love with Florida State as a as a um middle schooler because of Peter Ward. But I know that wasn't the question you asked, but I don't care. We can talk about Peter Ward. <laughs> I love you Peter Ward, man. You know why? You know why I could do this? And I don't care that we're getting derailed here a little bit. Cause I was, I was texting my man, Chris Long about this. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, thinking about Dion now, Dion Sanders, to really appreciate how special he is, you have to see what's happened since he's left. Cause no one can do what he did. And he would run slow on purpose, bait you. And then know you'd never throw. And then if he had the ball, he was gone. And I, it's not that it's someone is the best of all time, but it reminds me a little bit of what I see with Aaron Donald. Like, how is it that Aaron Donald can just chuck two 300-pound men out of his way like we've never seen? There was a play against the Bears, and it doesn't show up in the stat sheet, which is very cliche, but there was a play where they were trying to run this, like, crossing action, and he blew through, I think, the center and the right guard like a, like a saloon doors. Just flipped him out of the way. And you go, okay, all right, Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in the league. He's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. But how is it that nobody else for decades can actually do this? Like, how is it no other human is capable of doing it? And I think of Dion the exact same way because right. as great as some of these corners have been, you know, look, there's some really good players. We both get this. But nobody's Dion. Nobody's yeah. Dion. That's and that <laughs> just is something like I always th kind of think of, like, how long's that list? And that list shouldn't ever be, like, more than 10 guys in all the sports. I wish I could answer that question. I don't know why it happens that way, but I think that, that you aren't completely derailing us because Tyron Matthew is similar in that case where there are people who do, um, as far as Dion's concerned or anybody who was like the first to do something, there are people who do it as well as them afterwards and it becomes more common and you become sure. more used to it. But the thing that makes them special is they did it first. 
So now if you take Dion in his prime and drop him in the league today, he'd be one of the best corners in the league. I'm not sure that he would necessarily be like as much better than them as he was than the guys that his peers, his contemporaries when he was in the league then. So I I just say that to say that those guys, they set a precedent and they kind of set a new bar and they make people comfortable with taking chances and doing different things. And guys grow up watching them and modeling their game after them. And we see that with like the NBA. I know you're a big basketball guy. Like the way that these guys can fucking shoot now is (laughs) mind blowing. It's like mind blowing. And people, young people don't understand that. When we watch basketball games, when we were coming up, it was not a foregone conclusion that an open man was going to hit a 20, 20 foot shot. Now, they're shooting them from the damn sticker. It's like that stuff happens. And, this, and the way that we think about Steph Curry now, there are going to be people who shoot like him in the future, but we're never going to have that same feeling as we had when Steph first hit the league. I think the same thing is true with some of these guys. Like Aaron Donald, there'll be somebody else to play like Aaron Donald at some point. But uh, I don't, I don't know when. <laughs> yeah. I it's, mean, it's, it's, a, it's something that happens, though. Is that, am, I, am I wrong? No, no, like, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, this is, sounds like a dumb thing that, that's a, a comparison, but it is, it's a lot like skateboarding or snowboarding or any of those guys that yeah. do that stuff where you go, okay, this guy just did a 720. Holy shit. And then so mm-hmm. the next guy's like, well, let me try something. And then everybody else sees the guy do something no one else has done before. And next thing you know, we have guys doing tricks that no one would have ever thought of was even possible. And so Steph, I almost included in this, this text thread that I was on about this, but then I go, you know, but Steph may have started. I mean, Steph was so stupid from 30 feet that I started thinking like it had to be a little fluky and he was going to eventually have like a season where he came back to normal. I was worried about it. But then between Dame and Harden and some of these other guys, this is now an acceptable shot that enough guys are hitting. So he can be a pioneer, but he hasn't separated himself from the rest of his peers over the entire course of his career, like a Dion or a a Donald. Because I would still think, look, you know better than I do. You played the freaking position. But I don't that doesn't know. mean I know better, first of all. Yeah, but, but I was a little, I'd almost push back on the Dion thing. Like you said, he'd still be one of the best. That's that's far below a transcendent, like easily the best corner that you'd want nothing to do with. Like you think it would be different right. now because so, guys are faster? I don't get it. No, no. I think it'd be like there are guys, and maybe today's NFL is the wrong way to put it, but I'm saying before Deion Sanders, and maybe my age has something to do with it, but prior to Deion Sanders, we didn't talk about corners like that. That wasn't a thing that we cared about. Deion Sanders made it a marquee position. And then more good athletes went in and started playing that position and playing it well. So, like, you look at the history of the game. Prior to Deion, there was nobody like Deion. After Deion, I can name several corners that I think were as good or as impactful. They may not be as as well-remembered as we remember Deion because Deion was the first to do it. And Deion was special personality-wise and all that stuff. But, like, Revis at his peak was just as cold. Like, um, Champ, at his peak, I was out there for his best year of his career. I played opposite him in that moment when I think they threw at him, like, 20 times the whole season, and that motherfucker had eight interceptions. Like, it was <laughs> it was crazy. Like, I was a I love rookie. that shit. Yeah. I was a rookie starting opposite him. So they weren't throwing at him. They're like, let's go at this third-round pick rookie on the other side. And every now and then, a quarterback would just get confused or something and forget his left from his right and throw it over to him every time. He broke it up or intercepted it. It was incredible. So that's the point I'm making is now I, I was probably wrong, a bit hyperbolic in saying that Dion would be one of the best. We put him in the league today. He'd probably be the best. So we put him in the league today. But my point is there was a before Dion and then after Dion, his influence, I think, is what is more commendable to anything. And that, to tie it back to the Tyron Matthew pieces, I was talking about how good Tyron was and how important he's been to his team. And then I looked at 
he was first team all pro last year as a defensive back and second team as a safety. And then I thought that was a testament to how good he was. But the real testament to how good he was was the other guys who were first team all pro were also do it all Tyron Matthew disciples, little badgers. And like, I thought that was more um, impressive to me as far as his influence, because it's like, no, before this, we, we sent guys to the pro bowl and all pro guys who play traditional safety. Now the guys who go are guys who are in some ways better than Tyron Matthew, but they didn't start doing this. The league didn't start looking for players like this. Didn't start um, showcasing players like this until after Tyron. So you're somebody who comes in at corner and then, you know, it, I don't know what your snap count was, obviously years removed from it, but what happened when they moved you to safety? Was it that they didn't think you could cover? Or did they think, Hey, no, we can use these in a bunch. Like, what was that like? Because again, it's the norm now because they just have right. a million defensive backs out there. But I think back when you're there, you're like corners didn't yeah. want to be like, I don't want to be a safety. Yeah. I'm a corner. So yeah, I was, that was in my first contract with the, um, with the Broncos. And so I was my rookie year. I wasn't supposed to start. We had some injuries. I ended up starting way more games than, than I was supposed to. And then the following season, I ended up playing a lot. Me and um, uh, Darren Williams. I don't know if you remember him. He was drafted yeah. ahead of me. Yeah. And he and I were sharing a lot of time and then he got killed in the off season after that second year. So they went and signed Dre, Dre Bly. And so then it was me, Dre, and um, Champ. And, and so Dre's really Dre, good, right? I mean, Dre yeah, was and, around a long time, and yeah, yeah. I mean, Dre is really good. Um, I felt like I was better than him at the time, and <laughs> he was he was great. But uh, I mean, uh, we're, it's all ego and all that stuff at the time. But he, they started him at corner opposite Champ, and they were like, "Look, you're one of the best DBs we have." I was playing the nickel. And they were like, we want to get all our best DVs on the field at the same time. Do you think you can play safety? And at 170 pounds, um, my my answer, I was like 175. My answer should have been no, but like I'm a football player and I'm stupid. And, and they were like, and I was like, yeah. So I ended up playing a bunch of safety. And I think I played nickel a bunch before that. So they saw that I was like unafraid to like tackle and contact or whatever. So it actually, I mean, the physical part of it wasn't that difficult. It was playing safety is a lot easier than playing corner, honestly. When you're around somebody like Champ, were you close with Champ? Like I can oh, imagine yeah, we, you could be team. You still yeah, boys we, with him? Uh, yeah, I talked to him last week, actually. All right, so give me give me the story you tell your buddies about Champ Bailey, your favorite Champ story. Feel free to okay. ex- expose us to a couple if you want. <laughs> sure. No, there's plenty of them. Uh, I should text him and find out how angry he would be if I shared some of them. But um, let's see. I, I'm not I'm not stalling because I don't have a story. I'm stalling because I'm trying to find one that is appropriate. <laughs> um, well, I can just focus on how incredible he was as a player like that. He would um, we have meetings and stuff in the morning and or even in training camp, we have meetings, whatever. We have practice and um, Champ would go to his um, his truck in the in the parking lot sometimes before practice and the rest of us are like getting ready, warmed up and do all the things that we need to do. And champ would go take a nap in his truck with his stuff on. And then um, I guess he would have an alarm set or something and get out of his truck, which was right next to the practice field and walk right onto the practice field just as practice was beginning. And then proceed to shut everybody the fuck down. (laughs) And then go back to his truck after practice and roll right on out 
that was a great champ story. All right, here's another one. My rookie year, we started, um, we had a great season. We were 13 and three with the Broncos. Um, and we went down to San Diego for uh, the last game of the year. We beat them. That was the game that Drew Brees got uh, that injury and in also. And then I go from, and Champ and I are pretty close at this point. So I go back to the locker room and Champ's like, you want to go to Vegas? We're in San Diego. I'm like, sure, I guess. So I'm thinking that we got to go home or whatever because that's what we do. You got to fly back with the team. And he was like, nah, I'm going to go tell Mike that we're going to Vegas. I was like, all right. So Mike Shanahan's the coach. He goes up to Mike and I, I'm not with him. So he goes to Mike and then he comes back and was like, grab your stuff. We're going to slip out the back. So I, I walk right out the back door. Uh, a car picks us up, takes us to the private airport. We get on a private jet. So we just won uh, that game, clinched the division. We got a division championship hats and T-shirts. I'm a rookie who started opposite champ in this situation. We just won the game. We go out the back, get in a private jet, land in Vegas. A limo picks us up um, from the private jet airport. And then we go straight from there to Tal, the nightclub. They take us right up. We don't even take our stuff to the room because champ has that all taken care of. We go right up to the rooftop and we uh, have a table. One side, this is 05, I guess. Um, it's New Year's Eve. Uh, last game of year is New Year's Eve. So on one side of our table is um, Britney Spears in 2005. So it's a different Britney than yeah. Britney that everyone knows now. So it's like, <laughs> it's a real big deal. And on the other side was the prime minister of um, a Caribbean country. Um, do you remember Lisa Ray? You probably don't. The movie Players Club. I'll, I should Google it. But Lisa Ray was the actor in the movie's Players Club. And she like married one of the prime ministers from one of the Caribbean countries. And he's at a table next to us and fireworks are going off as it strikes New Year's Eve. And that's the moment when I'm like, what is life? Like, what, what am, what am I doing? How did I end up here? Like, I'm just a, a tiny kid from, from Baltimore third round pick, but I am right now celebrating New Year's Eve after starting opposite the best corner I've ever seen and winning uh, AFC West championship. It was just incredible. And then the night went on for lots of other stories that I'll tell you, um, when you're not recording. All right. That sounds, that sounds fair. Cause I have to imagine at that point, although, you know, I don't know what the, the texting situation would be in Oh five. Oh, it wasn't um, good. I yeah. think I had a side, I think I had a sidekick though. So I was, I was, do you remember those? Little... Yeah. Oh yeah. That was, oh, that yeah, was hot. I, was, I, mean, yeah, I, was, on, I was on aim. I was on AIM. Yeah, that's Getting right. Busy. Do you remember your handle? Uh, yeah, At I do. Shut down Fox. So. <laughs> nope. It was um so my my email uh, all the way through high school was um NFL bound. Uh so that was and when I first got to Maryland, I was one of the guys who left um high school early, so I started at Maryland when I was supposed to be a senior year, senior in high that's school. Right, yeah. So so they gave me uh a trash number, 36. So I was NFL bound 36. What was it like going to college early? I mean, it's hard enough. I mean, you're, you're going to play ball, but you, that must have been awkward. Nah, it was awful and awesome, but I have, I still have it. I have to find it. But my first ID, like it was, I looked, the picture they took was after like two weeks of school because it was mid year. So um, there are no, there's no infrastructure set up at that time. The year prior, Philip Rivers did it. 
And then my high school coach, I was a really good student. So my high school coach was like, you know, you're done. Like you can figure this out. And so I called the coach in Maryland. He was like, yeah, we got a scholarship. So it was like in a matter of like two months, I went from BSing around as a senior in high school to practicing against men and taking college classes. And um, then we did the ID stuff and I look completely disheveled and beaten down. And I remember my first um, like midterm grades. So uh, we get mid, we get midway through the semester and we're doing spring ball, morning workouts, 5 a.m., practicing in the evening, blah, blah, working hard. I'm getting my ass kicked because I should be in high school. Um, and I was taking an art history class, which I thought was easy because I just go sit in the lecture. They put up slides. It's like 100 people in a the lecture. They put up slides and then I go home. And then I get to middle of the semester and they're like, hey, here's a midterm. And I'm like, what the fuck? A what? A who what? And then the professor puts up slides and you have to tell based on the characteristics of the art, what, what um, year it was from and what culture it was from. And like the whole first half of the semester, I'm sitting in class, just not taking notes and just watching. Like, oh, college is easy. And I got destroyed. I failed that. I ended up getting a C in the class, got pulled it out. But that was like one of those moments where I was just, I don't belong here. I don't know what's going on. This is not going to work out. Let me think of other careers other than football because this ain't good. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like you should gain season, throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. I don't know, like, I don't want to ask it in the way where, because I know you're so interested in so many different things, okay? And it's weird when we find out, like, ooh, this athlete, he's, he's really cultured, you know, and it's like, what's wrong <laughs> with him, you know? I think you had to deal with it a little bit at ESPN sometimes, too, because it was oh, like, yeah. wait a minute, what? Do, it's almost a lot like the story with Tyron Matthew, like, what do we do with Foxworth? Mm-hmm. But do you find yourself drawn to the person that has all these unique interests or somebody like a Matthew who 
comes from a completely different background than you do. You go into your story, him going back to New Orleans, he's FaceTiming with gang members walking around in the street and talking mm-hmm. to him. Do you find yourself more drawn to the guy that fights through this? Is is that part of the attraction to him beyond just his ability? No, I mean, I think I, I, I'm, I'm drawn to unique. And I think we get, all of us get so, and it's human nature, so I'm not blaming people necessarily, but we get so caught up in, trying to silo people and typecast people like this guy fits in this category. He's one of these guys and it happens so often. So I think everybody is different to some degree. And I think some players are comfortable with sharing their differences and some players are more interested in playing the character, like the reality show character that we think that they are. And I think more than anything, it was that tyrant scene when I talked to him, he seemed comfortable was showing who he was or showing a, a truer version of who he, who he was. Cause none of us are like completely honest. Like we all are, are trying to convince people a little bit. Uh, like I, I, I um, coming to that realization, being honest with myself is that like, I really want people to think I'm smart and I, I do lots of things to make sure that people are aware that I'm smart. And maybe it's a pushback against the, the jock stuff. And like this whole reason why I wanted to go to a high level business school is like, just so that, when I'm around these these rich ass white people that I live around now, that when <laughs> when we get to um we get to that moment of conversation, that I, I assume that they're like, hey, you're a former football player, and they're judging me, and they're assuming that I'm dumb or whatever. That's that was the driving force that I can drop on them at some point. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, HBS, yeah, I, I, yeah, 2015. That's where I, I went there. Then I'm and that's so Hofstra, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, Hofstra. <laughs> It's Harvard. School. It's Harvard for those that aren't paying attention. Oh yeah, but you got to do the acronym or or hit them hit them with the. I went to a small school in Cambridge. One of those moves. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I'm a little bit off topic, but the point is, I think none of us are completely honest about who we want to be, and some of us are more comfortable being honest. And Tyron, when I was talking to him, he's. I asked him what, and I put this in the piece. What was it about him, or what did he think that people would say about him? Because it was unique when I talked to everybody. They just talked about how great a guy he is, how much they love him. And I was like, that was just weird because I was asking about Tyron Matthew, football player, and no one went to how good a football player he was first. So I asked him, and he said, sensitive. And I was like, yeah, and that caught me. Like, just being that comfortable in this era where I feel like we, coming off of the last dance, where we glorify Jordan and we glorify the – the, the Mamba mentality and Tom Brady yelling at people. Um, it was interesting to me that he was like, what I, what I want to be is thought of as sensitive and available to my teammates. And that just caught me, caught my attention. So it's not necessarily about any one type of guy as much as it's about the type of guy who is comfortable with showing a more honest representation of who he actually is. You bring up a really good point because Matthew was kicked off LSU um, and basically was all connected to weed. And, yeah. you know, sometimes I'll hear stories about different guys testing positive. Like some of these schools, I'll be like, wait a minute, what happened? And be like, well, he tested positive 13 times. And I'm not talking about <laughs> yeah. Matthew. Be like, we had to suspend yeah. him for a game. And you're like, nah. wait, what? Nah. But then again, I also don't want to be like a narc going, oh, you know, you have to set a standard. What is there? That's not a red flag. And you bring it up like in today's. 
sensibilities yeah. in just a few years. Usually stuff doesn't move that fast, but just in a few years, it, it's kind of looked at like, oh, wait, what was the problem with him? And you're like, oh, that's yeah. what it was. And now you're kind of like, oh, maybe maybe people, well, they did. They made too big of a deal. And now he's sort of accepted it. Even if you're against it, you're you're aware that, look, I go to the beach in California and it's on. Oh my it God. doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, and you could, I mean, that part I'll even say, like, I feel like a loser where I'll think like, is this cool with like kids running around making sandcastles and you're just allowed to just blaze and, you know, it's, like, it's not a big deal. Um, but... <laughs> With, with all of the, the guys that you've played with, you know, I've always had kind of this thought where I go, sometimes guys get caught up in stuff and it doesn't mean they're bad guys. Cause I think there's plenty of guys that never get caught doing anything. And they're way worse than sometimes the guys that get caught doing stuff. Would you, if you ran a team, how do you think you would be about red flags for players? Uh, I mean, so first, like I, I was, a, I was duped by dare <laughs> personally. Like I, the first time I drank, I was 34 or 33 maybe. And the first time I tried any like marijuana based substance was uh, a year or two after that. And so like, I completely bought into the hype that it was going to make me a worse athlete even when I got to the league and I saw some of the best players that I'd ever seen be completely comfortable, uh, blazing the night before the game, blazing day of practice and, and then go out there and be better than me. I still was like, I don't know. I ain't fucking with it. Cause that's not for me. So, Hey, real quick interjection. Does that mean that when you were at Vegas, New Year's Eve, you didn't drink when you were a nah. champ? Nah. I did. I did not drink. I had um one drink in college because I promised my teammate if we beat Florida State, my my freshman year, he's like, we beat Florida State, I'll I'll drink. So I had some Remy Martin, like a a glass of Remy Martin, um, my senior year when we beat them. And to this day, he says I was so drunk, but obviously he was incredibly drunk and I was fine. <laughs> but yeah, we think uh, one. Um, by the way, yeah. you have something in common with another Harvard man. That's Teddy Roosevelt. I'm through almost volume one. Okay. So I'm very early in the process because I had some holes in my Teddy Roosevelt game and he got shit faced as a student at Harvard very early on. And then he says in his his diary, he's like, you know, it was classic Teddy Roosevelt where it's like a million words to explain that, OK, you were shit faced and hung over. And he just was like, it is not the way I, I intend to be or something like that. It was perfect. So you and Teddy Roosevelt, good company. I like I like classic Teddy Roosevelt. The fact that that phrase came out of your mouth is amazing. Oh, classic Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> well, I'm in the midst of, of volume one right now, so he's on the top of mine. Nice. Well, I'm um, reading books, too, because I'm smart, too. I'm reading a book called <laughs> Telephone right now, a novel. I just finished. You know what you should read? Um, actually, you shouldn't read it, but it's a good book. It's a good flex when you want to make sure people know that you're smart. Uh, it's called The Tangled Tree. It's about horizontal gene transfer by um, uh, this scientist guy named Quammen. But anyway, it's just me. Again, I'm already impressed. Sense. Even if this isn't real, yeah. I'm impressed already. Just don't oh, it's have real. it. Just don't have it upside down when you enter the arena before a playoff game. So oh, that's, that's, how right. dare you talk about the king? I know, um, I know. You asked a question a while ago that I never answered. Sorry. Red flags in evaluating oh, yeah, yeah, players. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, I think you got to come to terms with there are some red flags or whatever you want to call them that you're going to be comfortable with. Yeah, I and there's others it, that we're know, not being dismissive of the more serious right, ones, just to throw that right. out there. Yeah, and I, I think that it's... I'm trying not to take the easy way, which I, I, I've trying, I'm trying to do this more in my takes as I'm getting more chances to do that, where it's like, 
there's an easy stance to be like, oh, I would be hard line, no red flags, or there's nobody who's ever had an issue. Like, that's an easy thing to do as a person in the media. I can virtue signal how good a person I am. But I don't think that's how it would actually be because, like, I recognize that my job is not to field a team of Boy Scouts as much as it's to win. So I think that the line I would draw would uh, be not necessarily a line on red flags that I wouldn't go for as much as it's about trying to get to know the player and have some flexibility on that because I don't think – I'm hesitant to say that I would draw the line. Anybody who did this, I would never let on my team because I don't think that's true. Like, there's plenty of people who have done – pretty terrible things or got caught doing terrible things that I feel like I would find a way to try to support them. And that's how I would justify putting that great talent on my team. So the people like AB is somebody I think I would probably draw the line with, not because, and this is probably the wrong thing to say, because obviously the things that he's accused of are reprehensible and I hate those things, but as a general manager of a professional football team I or owner of a team, I would be concerned about the image that we present. So if I thought that that wasn't a problem, but I would stay away from AB because it seems like he is not rational. And that's what scared me more than anything. It's like that $30 million that he just set on fire in Oakland. Like anybody who can do that is somebody who can do anything. And obviously he's going to work hard and make plays, but like, I just wouldn't feel like, uh, I could trust somebody who I felt like wasn't going to respond to to reason and logic in the same way that that the rest of our team would, you know? Yeah, it's almost like it's not, you know, we'll find out what happens with this this latest case. Um, mm-hmm. As I've said earlier uh, about any of the stuff off the field, I, I never feel comfortable saying, okay, well, I know exactly what, because I don't, we don't know. We don't yeah, know. Yeah, we don't. But when it's the pattern, and as you said, it's like, well, so when's the next thing happening? So that's one where I, I'd agree with you. Just go, hey, I know, I know it's about winning games and get guys out there, but he's not even out there because you don't know what the next thing is. Can I ask you about a couple things going on now? Because absolutely, listening to um, some of my Boston friends talk uh, that are in the media, one of the things that came up of, of all the things now because they're just not used to this two and four shit. Uh, <laughs> Stephon Gilmore and the plays. I don't know. Have you seen some of these clips that are floating out there now? Where nice. People are pretty convinced he's he's decided to <laughs> to wait this out, and he just look. It's it's kind of hard to defend. Like he's taking himself out of plays. How often uh, does this happen? Especially when you're talking about somebody like him who's expecting a big paycheck and deserves it. Uh, especially when you look at some of the salaries that we've seen, like a Jalen Ramsey type contract. New England's not going to pay that. They did it with Revis for that one year, um, which I think still surprised some people when they grabbed him, they're just not the type of team, even though they went out and got Gilmore in free agency. That's norm- normally what they did. There's maybe like five guys in Belichick's entire run that he's done that in free agency, right. but now it's turning into all these guys are quitting and somebody like Gilmore is deciding to protect himself. Right. Yeah. I haven't seen those, those clips. Um, so the question is how often do guys do that? Like I, I, I to be honest with you, it's hard for me to say, like I was fortunate enough to never be on a bad team. And I know the Patriots are like not completely dead yet, but even when I got traded down to the Falcons on Matt Ryan's rookie year, we thought we were going to be bad. Everyone thought we were going to be bad, but we ended up making the playoffs. And prior to that, I was in the playoffs or in playoff contention all the way into the end of the season. So I've never been on a team like that. And I never remember noticing. So 
I can speak for myself in that contract year. I had probably the best year of my career in Atlanta as far as like just shutting people down and playing really well. And yeah, I remember Eddie Royal, I was playing against the Broncos and Eddie Royal came and cracked back on me when Cutler was scrambling. Um, he hit me in the chest and I got up and was coughing, coughing up blood. And I kept playing because like I'm a football idiot and you're like, these are my guys. These are my family. This is why I'm out here. But, and I remember thanking Eddie for not hitting me in the head, which is a weird thing after you get lit up like that to, to go thank the guy. And I was like, yeah, I appreciate it. Cause it wasn't illegal back then to do that. And he chose to hit me in the chest and make my lungs bleed or whatever the hell happened. What did he say but, back to you? Um, I don't remember if he said anything, <laughs> if he just gave me a head nod. So I, I, I was on that team. So I got traded week one. So I was on the team with them, the Broncos, and I was complaining about not starting, uh, about being behind Dre Bly. And I ended up getting myself traded because I was going into my contract year and it was like, I knew like it's my last chance, but it's my only chance to get paid. And I was like, look, I'm better than Dre. Um, I didn't say his name specifically, but I think the media knew I thought I was better and they would ask me questions like, um, how many teams do you think you could start on in, in the NFL at corner? And I was like 32. And <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I, I would say shit like that all um, training camp. And then eventually Mike Shanahan, one time uh, the rumors started I was getting traded and he was like, nah, we're not going to trade you. And then like two weeks later, he called me up to his office and I still appreciate he did one thing really. I mean, I appreciate a bunch of things that he did, but one thing was when I got traded, he called me up to the office and he was like, look, um, Kansas city wants you and Atlanta wants you. They're offering the same compensation. Um, so I'll let you choose, which he obviously didn't think I was that good. If he was willing to trade me in division, in the like, division. We'll, yeah. Wow. He was like, fine, fine. We'll bust your ass, uh, <laughs> for a couple more years. And, um, Kansas City offered an extension and Atlanta was like, no, you just play out your your tender and be a free agent after this year. So I was like, yeah, send me down to sorry ass Atlanta and and I'll try to figure it out. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I don't know why I'm rambling so much because you asked me a question at some point and we ended up way off course talking about my trade history. Oh, guys quitting on teams. There yeah, yeah. No, this is fine. Yeah, this so is good, this story the story was was about like in those situations. Like, logically, I would have told myself to not go back out there. And then I remember in the playoff game, um, we lost to – we should have won, but we lost to uh, Arizona in our wild card playoff game. And I remember at, at a certain point in that game, something happened where I had to come off the field for a play or two. And I was playing really well in the game. And then I remember thinking at that time, like, don't let something happen. Like I had already put together uh, 16 of the best games I played, and I was like a, and there weren't a ton of corner free agents coming out that year, so I was like one of the best free agent corners coming out. And I remember thinking, like, the fuck if something happens right now, like everything that you work for is up in smoke. But I, it crossed my mind at the moment. But I took my dumb ass back out there and finished playing because, like. That's that's what it is. So I, I'm just saying that to say if Stephon Gilmore is doing this to protect himself or whatever, I, I understand the sentiment. Like, it's only logical. You keep saying, though, like, and I know you're doing it in a self-deprecating way, um, 
you know, my dumb ass, or I bring myself out there. But you know, that's that's kind of the point of all this, though, isn't it? Supposed to be, and it's and it's not just, you know, it's all sports in a way. But I think the football mentality is is special that I think it's shifted from you're stupid if you're selfish. Where and again, I'm not somebody who played in anything anybody cared about, but I still admire the guys like you or like a Mark Schlereth who I got to know at at ESPN. Like I remember when the concussion settlement came out. And I don't know if we're going to agree or disagree here, but you know, I was like, hey, did did you take part in any of that? And I just want to know. And he goes, look, because I had a million surgeries. Is the concussion thing for me wasn't a huge deal. He's like, I made a great living and I've been hit up by lawyers every week forever because they're all circling. And I just didn't think it was right. And I was like, oh, wow. But I could see other athletes being like, hey, you're an idiot. Like these guys, the owners, the league, they did all this shady yeah. shit. They hit it all like screw it. And there was another former player who was like, Hey, we won today. And I was like, Oh, well, you were part of the settlement. And I was like, did you, did you get, he's like, no, he's like, but damn right. I was going to fight. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was hard to tell either guy he was wrong, but I do think it's, I don't know if it's just, I hate to just do the default oh, social media and all this stuff, but it, it feels like with athletes now it's, it's accepted to be selfish about stuff where <clears throat> if, if you go out there, like I thought the point was to always have everybody's back and compete and care. Right. And so, maybe it's the same and we just hear about it yeah. more now, but I no. admire any of the guys that are like, Hey, you know, look, I'm signed up. This is my job. And I got to have my teammates back because if a couple of us decide to mail it in, then we're all screwed. Right. No, I mean, I understand that. And I think that that is still commendable, but I, in defense of like the, the media and social media and the people who, who would applaud the selfishness is like, I like this environment better as be, because a lot of and like the open-mindedness environment now where we're like hearing yeah, guys out like we're not, not even, just lumping every yeah, athlete into the same boat is what you're saying not even that it's open-minded as much as it, even if the pendulum has gone the other way where we like root for selfishness for athletes if, even if i'm i'm not sure that i believe that's the case but even if that is the case i like that environment better because uh i think it creates a safe place for players to do what is logical and what is in their best interest. So as much as like, I, I learned very quickly after high school and college uh, or during college, I learned like it's a business and it's a cliche that people say, but you, you, you figure it out quickly. We won, we, the Maryland was I think five and six the year before I got there, the year I got there, we lost one game and won the AC championship and that off season coach Friesian signed a $10 million extension and we got sweatshirts and that's when i was like this is this is not great like we got to figure it out and then like <laughs> we went on and and a bunch of great players had a ton of injuries and didn't play professionally and don't have health insurance so one of my best friends i still talk to this day had um is going to have to have a knee replacement at some point and since he technically wasn't an employee he has no workers compensation and then that's a pre-existing condition so he's going to have to pay out of the pocket for uh, knee replacement because he had multiple knee surgeries uh, at Maryland and shoulder surgery, finger surgeries, and he had those surgeries. And at the same time, like Maryland's benefit from it, the coaches benefit from it, blah, blah, blah. So I say all that to say that I like now that people are quick to cape up for the selfish athlete because everything that's happening around them feels like so, so selfish. And, and we've come to accept that selfishness so like i, I yeah on the I, college level right. i i can't can counter you on that but i mean again yeah. in the nfl like that's what the money's for 
right? Right. I, I agree that that's what the money's for. However, I, I mean, having the money's not great for everybody. The money's not great for most people. And I know how ridiculous that sounds, but if you imagine that you have, you enter football and you've been around enough, enough athletes to know that if this football thing don't work out, you got a long way to go before you can make reasonable money elsewhere. So I started studying for, for business school that year. I got traded to Atlanta cause I was like, all right, this ain't gonna work out. Let's figure this out. Cause I'm gonna have to do something different. So like, I would have been out of the league with a couple hundred thousand dollars, which is plenty of money with no real prospects for a career after that. And I think that's a hard thing to, to come to that realization in that moment and, uh, and understand that you've traded all of the other avenues and closed off so many other avenues in your life to chase this one dream. And there are a ton of reasons why I guess you could say that it's okay, but I think there are more reasons to, to point to. And I know this is a hard argument for you to, for me to make. I think you are one of the people that can understand this, but like the way that the labor unions have gone and the way the negotiations and CBAs have gone, like it is not a home run necessarily just to make it to the league. And so that's why when players make selfish decisions to make sure that they get to that point, like, I feel like I can understand that because it's not only a decision for them, like, the the house my parents live in the schools my kids go to the the foreclosure that i i pulled aunts and uncles out of like that was all riding on it so if in my uh contract year if i started feeling something a little tweak in my ankle and at that moment i say nah fuck it you guys good luck i gotta say gotta protect myself then people look at me like you're terrible but if i'm like nah chill out. I got to be able to take care of my parents. I got to be able to take care of my kids. I got to be able to take care of my aunts and uncles. I got like, that's, so it's like, you're, it's pulling two different teams, I guess you're thinking, because you're not just thinking about your teammates on the field. You're thinking about like your teammates for life. That was really corny and cliche, but you know what I mean? No. And it's probably the best job anybody's done for getting, I think probably people listening going, oh, you know, that makes a lot of sense, but you're never going to win. Cause they're going to go, Hey, you were a pro athlete it's not your fault that you know you have to right. be better with your money which isn't entirely fair because communities it's not even community based it's family right. based like look i support a lot of people in my family i do mm -hmm. and you know they may surprise me like wait a minute what how's that work i mean like look it's not um oh, i can't generalize you're not, you're not rich because you're white what's going on <laughs> i thought i thought all you white guys was balling <laughs> I'll tell you right now, there's, there's a, as I've been over throughout this podcast numerous times, there's a, there's a long financial gap in there for a long time. So you know, what happens is, is there's going to be more people that relate to the story you didn't tell, right? And there's just not going to be enough people that can relate to that story because they're going to say, well, whatever you, you made a couple hundred grand, you should be good. And it's like, okay, but wait, now, if I'm starting at zero again, at 27, 28 years old, um, this is great that I have this in the bank, but I'm not going to be making this kind of money, um, immediately. And, you know, you can say, oh, everybody can just go into broadcasting. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. I know. And there's not so, enough broadcasting jobs and not everybody is good at it. And there's, um, yeah. And if you don't have a name necessarily, it's going to be a lot harder, but I, I just think, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to bore the listeners necessarily with no, all of it, it this wasn't, stuff, but it's, yeah, no, I, th I, that was a really like, but it's just, I, even I'll admit there's 
just moments where I kind of push back because I think sometimes we have to go, okay, yeah, that's what you did. And then it didn't work mm-hmm. out. And now you have challenges ahead of you. Like other people have challenges ahead of them. Um, right. and unfortunately yeah, too often I, I speak to my own industry cause it's the one I understand the most, but, um, you know, it, it'll be like, actually let's, let's, we can share this a little bit. Cause you and I were talking about the writing part of it and I'll notice like writer Twitter is, is sometimes worse than like sports Twitter. Because it's incredibly a frustrating process. You put all this time in. It's your thoughts. You're opening up. I mean, it's it's hard to show your writing. It's even harder to read your friend's writing because you're like, oh, my God, this is, you know, really bad. What do I say to this person? And again, I'm not saying that from my own, like, I'm very, um, I think, in check of, of what I'm, where I'm at right now in this part of the industry for me. But I'll see people complain like, oh, I wrote this show and it's been so hard and no one's picked up my show or I haven't sold a script. And I go, well, okay, but you knew this was really hard. You knew it was really hard. And and so you can bitch about it and maybe you're venting a little bit, but then there comes a time where it's like, all right, but you know, you pick something that was very difficult. And for athletes, it's like, yeah, you pick something that there's going to be a chance. There's a real big challenge in front of you in your twenties. Right. And I'm not saying that anybody should, um, should abide the complaining. I'm just saying that they are trying to avoid those bad outcomes. So no, I get it. Yeah. Right. To to me, they're not um walking away saying this was the NFL did me bad. It was terrible. The the guys who are doing things that you might consider selfish are like, you know what? I'm not gonna let me, I'm not gonna let them do me like they're doing to other people. I'm gonna take care. So that's to me, it feels more proactive than anything. And I could understand people being like, You had this great opportunity and you squandered it, but they're like, No, I'm not gonna let them ruin this for me. And to use the writer's analogy is it's not the guy in the coffee shop or the girl in the coffee shop complaining about no one picking up their script. To me, this is the guy who is doing something who's like uh, who's looking up people's emails on dark web to get personal emails. Like it's someone who's going above and beyond to me, who's doing something that other people might think is a little bit uh, unseemly, but they're like, you know what? I'm going to make this shit work any way that I can. I'm going to make sure I get this in front of whomever in the best way I can. And, if some people look at me and say, this is the wrong way to do it, fuck it. I'm not going to miss my chance. <laughs> hey, everybody, check out uh, his piece. Again, cover story, ESPN the Magazine. Uh, it's, it's a big deal. And, um, you know, I'm pumped you will have him on. And, uh, you know, look, we'll talk again soon. All right. Appreciate it, brother. All right. He's at, at Foxworth24. Thanks, man. Talk soon. Not that long ago, going out with friends was a little too complicated. Used to worry about where you'd go, what you'd look like, and who you'd invite. But now getting together for a beer with your closest friends isn't so complicated. These days, it actually feels more like it should. You could just be yourself with your friends. Maybe that's the way it always should be. And as the original light beer, Miller Light has always believed in this. That's what Miller Time is all about. Um, I remember just recently. True story. True story. Went to visit some family members the other night. The guy who I didn't know that well walked up to me and said, hey, how about a cold one? You guys want to guess what it was? It was the middle of the light. I know that shocks you. I know you're like, wait, was it going to be something? Oh, no, it was a middle of the light. So then guess what we did? We went outside. We watched a fire. True story. And man, I don't know what goes better. Boots, work boots in a fire or a middle of the light in a fire? In a socially distant world, enjoying a Miller Lite with your favorite people looks different for everyone, but staying connected is just as important. 
Miller time for me is staring at a friend and saying nothing and knowing everything. That sounds right to me. <laughs> Kyle knows. Miller Lite, great taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller time. You can have the original light beer delivered by going to MillerLite.com forward slash RR and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. All right, here we go. Life advice is lifeadvicerr at gmail. Okay. Thanks for taking the time to read the email. You are welcome. I'm 30 years old, married to kids. I work in the alcohol industry, currently in sales, but I'm looking to get out of the industry as a whole. My friends think I'm crazy and don't understand why I would leave the best job on earth. Side note, I know I have a great gig, but I feel like I can get the... I can read the room and it really seems like I'm at a dead end within the company. By the way, do your friends think it's sick that you just sell booze? It, it, it is sick. You think that's awesome? Like long term? I have a buddy that works for like one of these big companies and it's like there's tickets, especially in sales. You're like, you know, oh, yeah, taking yeah, people yeah. out. There's boxes. You can yeah. go to games so many times a month and he's got a card for whatever beer he's selling that's on tap. So it's like it's just a, you get to be the hero whenever you go anywhere. So. Good on you. Yeah, the tickets thing is definitely, um, I, I shouldn't have been so quick to go. Because you know what I'm doing? I'm doing the younger thing where, like, I think to be younger and be like the the promo person is cool for a little while. I was just thinking, I thought this guy was like older and was like, hey, I don't want to be handing out Jägermeister t-shirts. <laughs> Nobody's you know? ever upset to get one of those, though. I got to be honest. No, I mean, I've, we've been over this numerous times. I've I've seen people attempted. I mean, there's attempted murders that I've seen in bars over a free to, you know, <laughs> Goldschlager long sleeve. <laughs> I'll fucking kill you. I remember one time there was frozen, I don't know, all those frozen drinks made the rounds. It might have been Aftershock or something stupid. And the promo girls came in and they had frozen, they dipped the shirts and then folded them. They dipped them in water and folded them and then froze them. And then it was like a contest to see who could un, like tear it apart. I don't know. And like I, two of my buddies did it and it's the most, it's the hardest I've ever seen anyone try at anything ever in my life. And then I think like the guy that lost didn't keep, get keep, like they were so chintzy with the shirts too. Like the one guy that undid his frozen shirt got to keep his and then the other guy was like halfway through it. It was like, hey. Now we got to like, refreeze gonna, this dude. <laughs> yeah, like what are, you, what are you doing with it now? Like you're refreezing the Goldschlager long sleeve tee. Because then, you know, how many times, even when kids would try to kill each other for those shirts, you'd go, are you going to wear it out next week? Because <laughs> you you aren't. Like, hey, we guys going out? Oh, hold on. I just got to throw on my Goldschlager long sleeve. <laughs> Where I got a, I got a Svedka, <laughs> blued Svedka t-shirt that's never seen the light of day. Yeah. Hey, oh, you guys going outside? Okay, hold on. Let me grab my Sambuca visor quick. <laughs> that actually sounds All pretty right. good. You want, yeah, all right, I'll see what I can do if I can get you a Sambuca visor. Um, I like when people pluralize Sambuca. Like, oh, dude, you guys drink Sambucas? Actually, that one doesn't sound as stupid. Maybe that makes more sense. Are you there? Are you still there, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, I'm here, man. What's, what's no, this guy got sounded, to say? Sounded like you cut out. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's get back to the email here. Not like I haven't done this every freaking time we get one of these emails. Okay. 
All right, so here's here's the uh, Koslik. Uh, you guys remember me? I'm over here, the guy with the email. It says, you feel like it is a dead end with the company. I've been overlooked for multiple promotions, and from what I understand, it isn't performance-based. I'm more of a head down and do your job type, and being one of and being one of the, quote, bosses guys isn't really my thing. However, those are the people that are being promoted, or maybe I just suck. Who knows? I like that you ask that question. Maybe you do suck. Either way, I know I'm not a great interview, and rather than continually bombing, I'm doing the responsible thing and emailing you about it. I've been with my current company for seven years, so it's been a while. The interview process can seem very stupid at times with the same, where do you see yourself in five years and how would you handle the situation in our work environment? Questions, but I understand these questions can be necessary. How can I, or how do I become a better interviewer? Any tips are welcome. All right, man, there's, look, I don't, obviously, we don't know. Maybe you totally suck and that's why you're getting passed over all the time. I mean, that could be part of it. But the fact you even asked that, Usually the guy that just sucks and is unaware would never even ask that kind of question. So there could be more to this. Um, maybe you just aren't one of the guys um, and that isn't important to you. But gosh, that stuff in sales, especially the, the, the I don't, I don't want to say like the people part of it, but you know, you to do well in this industry, I imagine you've had to use some of the skills to get ahead that you're then saying you don't use at the job place. Like one of the dumbest things I ever did at ESPN is I never went and like made sure everybody that was making decisions got to know me on a personal level. And it was a huge, huge mistake. I just thought like, hey, these guys are going to see how good I am and how hard I work. And they're going to ask everybody, hey, is Rosilla work hard? Yeah, he's good. His number's good. His sales number's good. Yeah, yeah, he's great. And instead it was just, what the fuck's that guy's deal? <laughs> and I was there every day for a really long time. And so it's a, it's a, I don't have many regrets. Um, I really don't. As you get older, you're like, eh, whatever, who cares? That's one that I, I always wonder if it would have gone differently at ESPN if I, if I tried to do those things and I didn't. Um, and I guess, you know, sometimes I think like, oh, but then, you, you know, I'm kind of like you are right now, Kyle, where you go like, why can't I just do my job really well? And then have you guys notice that? But that's just not the way the world works. So, so it was uncomfortable for you at that time, but you, you'd wish you just would have done it. Like, cause obviously otherwise you would have like just been talking to everybody and shooting the shit, but like it would have been uncomfortable for you to like strike up some shit, but you're saying you just wish you did that. I just wish when, you know, the, the problem with the ESPN, there's a million different people, like everybody that'd be in power would get replaced by other people. And I just, I'll never forget one, one girl that I worked with. I wasn't super close with her, but she's, I, we were talking about something. She's like, oh, I have a meeting with this guy. And I was like, oh yeah, what's he do? She's like, well, you know, he's at this level right now, but he's a really important person with the company. So I'm going to try to work that relationship. And I was yeah. like, what? I was like, that's fucking gross. Like you, you're just, you have no interest in talking with this person and you're just going to do it because you're like planting the seed if they're important later on. And she knew what she was doing. She played the game and it worked out for her. Um, there was, there was one, I mean, look, I was going to invite somebody to my wedding, you know, <laughs> like you'd hear about that. Like Skipper got invited to a wedding once. I was like, what? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Cause I, I you know, I feel like, Hey, if we hit it off and, and we meet and we talk and Skipper and I actually did meet a lot and we did get along, but you know, whatever. Now that we're, I, we're making it about me again here and that's my fault. So Kyle, the reason I'm bringing up all of this stuff is that I, I feel you, man. I, I feel you here. Like I've had different times and not even, you know, jobs that anybody cares about. I've had different times. I'm like, wait a minute, this guy's getting promoted. Then I've had other times where I was the guy that was getting promoted over everybody else, but that was just bartending. Uh, here's what I would do. Um, it's not about you getting better at interviewing. Just get better at talking to these guys. 
So I would go right to your boss. And I don't know if you've talked to him already, because, you know, it's really your fault if you've never talked to him about this. Okay. So if you're getting passed over and stewing on the inside and getting really mad about it and never saying anything, that's as, that's as much on you as it is anyone. Now, if you're going to him all the time and bitching about being passed over, then, you know, you got to figure out how often you can do it. Like you can't be the guy that complains all the time. I've been that guy before. And no one likes that guy. I've been the guy that's never said anything. And then somebody will say, why didn't you say anything for the last two years about this situation? And you go, you know, I just didn't want to complain. So I would, I would do this because it sounds like you haven't talked to this boss like this. I would just go right to him and go, hey, look, I want to talk with you. You know, can you give me 30 minutes, whatever? All right, fine. You guys book some time. And, you know, now I know it's a little bit more complicated, but you'll figure it out. And just go, look, I know I'm not one of the boys. Um, I know maybe I'm different and that can come off as me not being as into this, but I am into this. I want you to know how in this I am and that I care about promotions and other things. And I need to know straight up, like, have I done anything wrong? Um, actually I would start with that. I would start with like, Hey, I want to ask you about some of the promotions because don't bring up the boys thing until later. And I want to know straight up, like why I'm being passed over. Cause I need to know what I'm doing wrong. Cause this matters to me. This isn't a complaint. This isn't me being combative. It's me understanding it better so that I'm better equipped the next time it comes around. Cause I want to, I would, now it, it also sounds like you kind of like at a dead end and you don't want to do this, but before you're dead ending this and moving on and leaving a job that even you are admitting is a pretty good job, talk to him like you've never talked to him before, which I've used before an example. So they know how serious you are and explain, make him understand you better. Have him force him to get you to know you better in the sit down and talk. And, you know, don't be accusatory. Don't bitch. Don't be whiny about everything. Be a man and straight up say, hey, what can I do to be better at this stuff? And then start to tell him, you know, I'm just not wired like some of the other guys are. My sales numbers are great, but I don't apply that the same way around the office. Again, I'm assuming a lot here, so I don't really know. But that's probably the best thing that you could do. So he's like, oh, all right, you know, check out our boy. You know, and he's, he's gonna, he's going to, this sounds like a stupid way to phrase it, but he is going to consume you differently after this kind of meeting. I guarantee it. Now, if you do suck and you're complaining all the time and that's where you're getting past over, I can't help you. All right. Uh, that was straight up life advice right there. No question. Yeah. After we did fucking Rosillo memory lane for seven minutes again. All right. Um, okay. We got to, we, this one speaks to my, my heart big time here. All right. My man is, uh, he's in construction. I work in construction for a home builder. All right. So I guess it's not his job site, but he works on the site. I'm in charge of production of the home. Okay. Well, I don't know what this means. Is, is Do you work for the GC? Are you doing planning and stuff like that? Or are you swinging a hammer here? What color is the helmet, right? Is it the white helmet? Come on, dude. Oh, is that a thing? It's not a thing anymore? No. I thought no, the foreman was the, uh, the, the non-yellow helmet. Dude, I wore a helmet zero times ever. I, I'm Whoa. sure it's different now a little bit, but when you're up 40 feet, man, the helmet's not going to do much for you. <laughs> um, okay. There are numerous trades that work under me actually doing the production on the house, and I'm the superintendent. I, you know, I could have just read the rest of the email, and I would have gotten the answers that I wasted everybody's time <laughs> on. So, Okay, so this guy's kind of in charge of the job site. All right, established. Um, I see it more working together. I just facilitate the schedule and work, but the guys are doing the actual labor. Okay. Boy, hey, I apologize to everybody for those last couple of minutes I just wasted. All right, regardless, I had a disagreement with one of the guys on site. Quick and short, my direct supervisor was uh, 
thinking present for the 15 second. All right, this sentence is making sense. I think what he's saying is that it was a 15 second interaction and that his supervisor saw it. Okay. Guys on a job site, stupidity. All right. So a couple of guys just miss, pissed at each other. The job site's just different. Construction job site, construction law is different than corporate law. Okay. It's come to my attention this gentleman who technically works for the company I represent has been gossiping, insulting me to my coworkers uh, on the job. I confronted the individual, asking him if he needed to talk about it to resolve it. And he said, no. What do I do now? He continues to talk shit about me on the site behind my back, but won't try to resolve it with me. I feel I took a step to squash it, but he didn't want to. Now I'm getting frustrated. I'm not a violent person, but he kind of makes me want to punch him in the face. He's acting like such a turd. Misspelled turd. Um, what should I do? I know I'm letting him get to me too much. On a bigger question, how do you not let people like this have space in your head? My life is too healthy and too good to worry about a guy like this. I can honestly say I get along with 99.9% of people I work with. Okay, uh, this happens all the time. And, you know, construction sites can get really weird because everybody would just be like, you know, it's almost like your manhood. You know, the stuff that you would say to somebody on a construction site is not the kind of stuff you would say to somebody in your cubicles. And so, you know, I've seen some stuff go down and I remember like going to get a check and then a couple guys showing up to get a check from my father and, you know, like stuff's gotten weird. You know, I remember my father wasn't getting paid once by this guy and he showed up to his house on Thanksgiving day in front of the entire family where they're sitting down at dinner to embarrass him because he'd been ducking my father so long to write a check. And this is back when my dad was like doing brick walks. Now, you know, he started having a run of pretty good houses uh as he got a little bit older so i respect the hell out of his his come up as the kids say so uh, there's there's two things here i mean the bigger thing at the end is like yeah it's great if you get along with everybody and this guy's bothering so much and he's in your headspace you know it's kind of that bronx tale thing it's like eventually after this job site maybe you're never gonna have to see him again but you did say that he works for the company so look if you're his supervisor and he's talking shit about you on the job it's pretty simple you got to fire him he doesn't want to talk to you about it um, you can't fight him, even though you want to. Maybe he's just a sloppy ass electrician. I mean, I hate those guys. Um, <laughs> but I look, I'll actually share the story. I remember, you know, one summer working on a pretty fancy house on the vineyard, was working with some sheet rockers. Um, you know, I was always I never had a sheet rock or electric or plumbing or anything like that. I would I would do more framing and decking. My father would never let me do trim because he knew I didn't have the delicate touch on a miter saw. But he uh, he had this guy who didn't want to pay for his dump runs for his waste, you know, the sheetrock material that he wasn't using, right? So, you know, whatever, how the cuts and how it would work uh, with the product, you know, whatever was left over that he had to chuck, he didn't want to pay for the fucking dump runs. So one job site, he stuck all the extra insulation and sheetrock inside of like, he sheetrocked over it, over the chimney. Like, you realize how stupid this is? So where the chimney needed to be sheetrocked around, he actually put his waist next to the chimney and then went over it with more sheetrock. And somehow my father figured it out. I don't know how he figured it out, but he figured it out and opened it up and ripped it open. And was he kind of liked the guy too. And he's like, hey, you're fired. Like, you're fired. This isn't, and he's, you know, he's doing the, the Boston kind of vineyard Cape Cod thing, which is a little different than Boston. He's like, Cap, what are you doing to me? You're killing me. And he's like, yeah, it's just end of discussion, man. He's like, there's a million dollar house here. You can't be throwing insulation and sheetrock residue behind the wall because you don't want to pay for a dump run. So 
I, uh, I, you know, I'm not saying a guy should, but he, the guy's got to understand the hierarchy here. And everybody bitches about everybody in a job site. Everybody bitches about everybody and gossips about everybody at every place I've ever worked in my entire life. It is part of it. But if you're his superior and you confronted him and he said he didn't want to talk about it and he keeps doing this stuff over and over again and he's just poisoning the job site, unless everybody hates you, but it sounds like everybody gets along with you because they're telling you that this guy's saying this stuff about you. It's just not going to fly. You can't do that. I, I don't. I don't think there's some magic compromise of talking this stuff out because the HR, you know, HR doesn't exist on a construction site. Okay. The HR is do your job or get out of here. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, true. I don't know. That's uh, nobody. Nobody was there to have me fill out a form of how I felt about how I was treated. <laughs> I remember losing it one day. The guys, the guys, we're taking number twos in, in fixture boxes and then putting them on the garbage pile. It's like, I would come home when I was in college and you know, there was nothing, they weren't just to put me on framing and my father just be like, all right, take the truck and do some dump runs and I'll, I'll pay you per dump run. And I was like, all right, I need the money. And then I started flicking fixture boxes of human feces into the back of the truck. And I, I just, I walked back into the house and it's kind of sucked for them. Cause it was like, you know, they may have thought I was a shithead college kid, and they could all kick my ass, but it was still my father's sight. And I would go, look, I wasn't a punk or anything, but I just go, you guys serious? You're taking dumps and boxes and I got to clean this up? Like this is, this is, you know, then I started getting a little bit older and I was like, all right, now I'm definitely not having this. So yeah, I don't know if anybody else has a better way, go ahead, hit me up. Life advice so hard to deal with that. But if you were, if you've never worked in a construction site, you are not eligible to comment on this or offer up anything. Have a great weekend, everyone. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.